says, it's probably very clear, I am not Kevin O'Sell. And uh, you can tell based on the beard, right? Kevin doesn't have a beard, and he's also enormous. So I'm going to stand up here and uh, preach off the stage. I hear sometimes he preaches down there. But um, so my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors at Hiawatha Church, which is a church in uh, South Minneapolis. We're actually the church that helped uh, plant uh, Center Church. And we have known Kevin for, for many, many years now. And uh, yeah, Hiawatha Church is a church in South Minneapolis, kind of near Minnehaha Falls, if you know where that is. Um, and yeah, I'm married. There's a picture of, who do I need to, do they advance the slides, I'm guessing? Yes, okay, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm married to Amy uh, for many, many years, um, 2007, so what's almost 13 years now, 13 years. And uh, two kids, Charlie, he's uh, turning seven in a month, and Esther uh, is four. And one thing you should know about us as a church, and m myself and my wife as well, is that we deeply love Center Church. We really love you guys, even though I haven't met most of you or, uh, yeah, seen your faces. Just know that we love you. Uh, we're rooting for you. Hiawatha Church prays for you uh, multiple times a month uh, corporately. Uh, and we're thrilled about what the work, what, what, the, what work the Spirit is doing through each and every one of you up here in, in Fridley and Coon Rapids and and beyond. We're really excited. So we want you to know that, that we love you guys. Uh, we're praying for you. We're thrilled uh, with what the Spirit's doing. And just know that you're not alone. Know that you're uh, in this spiritual battle where we're trying to bring the gospel into the kingdom of darkness, uh, trying to transform uh, the Twin Cities through the gospel. Just know that you're not alone. So thanks for having me uh, here. Uh, last time I preached here, actually, it was another blizzard. So I don't know what Kevin is doing, but somehow he's Maybe he has the gift of prophecy. Maybe he knows what's going on. So he says, I, it'll be a fun joke to get Spencer to drive through, uh, through a blizzard to get here. But anyway, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, a few years ago, there was uh, one of my favorite authors, former favorite authors. Uh, he posted a blog that uh, was quite popular and quite controversial. So maybe you know about this guy. His name is Donald Miller. He wrote uh, a number of really popular books. Uh, Blue Like Jazz, maybe his most famous one. Uh, Searching for God Knows What uh, was one of my favorite books ever that he also wrote. But uh, he's now just a blogger, and now he runs a company that helps people with their branding. But anyway, he came out with this post on his blog entitled, I Don't Worship God by Singing, I Connect with Him Elsewhere. And like in all of his books, he wrote with great authenticity and, and humor and humility, and he wrote from his heart, sharing his struggles, and so people love his writing and loved this blog as well. And he even wrote some great things about the importance of smaller groups within church, and about Christian friendship, and about uh, some of the challenges of the, the corporate church. But his conclusion was heartbreaking, and it threw the Christian blogosphere uh, into a deep debate about the importance of local church. And his conclusion, sadly, was, so do I attend church? Not that often, to be honest. Like I said, that's not how I learn. And so Miller's blog brings up what just uh, thousands and thousands of young people, especially uh, people in their 20s and their 30s, just questions that they naturally have about church. And whether that's uh, young people always have these questions about church, or whether it's just something new with uh, millennials kind of uh, recently, he put to words what millions of people are already thinking, whether or not they're a part of a church or 
not? And many of us probably ask these questions ourselves, either in a part of our life, or maybe we're even just asking them right now, thinking that, like Donald Miller said, well, maybe I just learn better in a different situation. Maybe I like learning from my couch, watching a TED Talk, or maybe like uh, worshiping God by playing golf or watching a sunset. So as we ask these questions ourselves, or just have conversations with people who are asking these same questions, first, we need to ask what Jesus has to say about the church. He needs to be a part of how we get our answer and how we respond to these questions. He is the inventor of the church, right? And so he gets a bit of weight when we define and describe what church is. So, the the questions, what about if I just don't get that much out of church? And Kevin's not here, so we can, you know, nod our heads. We don't have to feel judgment here. Maybe maybe we all feel this way, right? What if hearing a sermon is just not the way I learn? What if uh, I just don't like our worship style? What if the people around me kind of bother me? What if I'm an introvert? What if there's a blizzard and I don't want to brave the winter? What if I feel closer to God on a golf course or on a lake or in my living room basking in the sun? And in fact, that was definitely my view in my teenage years especially, and then even in my early 20s. So personally, I hear and, and see and understand these objections and these questions. And as a pastor, I see this all the time, whether it's talking with people, people who are inside and outside of the church, or whether it's uh, in places like social media and books and blogs and magazines all over the place. In fact, there's books, tons of books, books written about this. Even uh, Newsweek on its cover had, I forget the exact title, but Forget the Church, Follow Jesus. Like even a cover story saying, hey, this is what young people are doing. The church is irrelevant. Let's just follow Jesus. And you probably heard this all too common phrase to just love, the, I just love Jesus, but not the church. So it's common. And it's not just common. If we're honest, right, it's even tempting. Tempting to some of us, or at least tempting to some of us some of the time, right? People are messy. Churches aren't perfect. Serving others costs you something. Costs you time, costs you energy. And the default mode of our sinful hearts is independence, right? Not interdependence. It's focused on me, not we. So if most of us are honest, the idea of just our perfect God and me sounds a lot better than me with a bunch of messy, sinful humans and institutions and traditions that sound tough at times. Yet despite how hard we might want it or even try to find a way to make churchless Christianity a possibility or a reality, we actually have an impossible barrier to get to that, and that is the New Testament and Jesus himself. So today we're going to talk about this myth, the myth of the churchless Christian. And we'll look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31 to help us begin to see a response to this myth that's very popular, that you can be a Christian without being a part of a local church. So there are no biblical examples in the New Testament of a very mature, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled, gospel-proclaiming Christian who is also a lone ranger, unconnected, to any local church or to other Christians. Jesus himself was surrounded by some of his best friends. He was surrounded with a group of disciples, both men and women. And the Apostle Paul, Paul, maybe the guy that you think, if there ever was a guy 
who would be a Lone Ranger, right? Because of his, his personality, because of his continued church planting and missionary journeys, him moving from place to place. Even Paul, the guy we might think that might be the poster child for churchless Christianity, was actually uh, always surrounded by other believers. And in his letters, he describes his companions that go with him as he's planting these churches. And he describes his deep, deep love for these churches that he's planted and that he was a part of. And he writes about his partners in ministry as well. So whether we like it or not, the New Testament, and even Jesus himself, as we'll see later, doesn't give us the option of being a churchless Christian. The church is, is foundational to understanding the New Testament and, and even uh, the gospel itself. So obviously today we'll just be just skimming the surface about the importance of church for a Christian because I only have two hours to preach. I'm not sure why you're laughing because Kevin actually told me I have two, two hours to preach. Just kidding. But the Bible uh, says uh, in the New Testament, many different uh, symbolic or uh, language or, or titles for what the church is, right? And you're probably familiar with a lot of them. The church is the family of God. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is uh, a branch is connected to the true vine. It's a new temple. It's a building with Christ as its cornerstone. And the church is the body of Christ. Today we'll unpack how churchless Christian, by definition, is an oxymoron, a myth. And we're going to focus especially on the description of the church that is given all throughout the New Testament, including in our passage today, as the body of Christ. A, f- a few things to clarify now before we, before we jump into our passage. First, obviously there will be times in many people's lives where they're not a part of a local church, right? Whether you're moving, whether your church is ending, whether something big has changed in your life, uh, there definitely will be times when many Christians are in between churches, are trying to find a new church. So hear me out. When I'm saying the myth of a churchless Christian, I'm saying we cannot live our entire lives thinking we're just fine if we are never part of a local church. So obviously there'll be times in your life where you are finding a new church. Second, to clarify, the Bible and theologians, they uh, use the word church to describe both a local church, a gathered group of believers, as well as the universal church. So local church being an individual uh, body of believers, like Center Church, and the universal church being all Christians all over the world throughout time. So for today's sermon, just to be clear, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the local church for today's purposes. Uh, third clarification, the church is a people, not a building. I mean, you guys meet in uh, a school, so it's probably a little less tempting to say uh, this particular Hayes Elementary School is the church, right? But just in American language, right, we say we're going to church and we call church buildings church. But to be clear, the church is a people, not a building. And then fourth, nor is the church a business. It's not a business, though many churches can maybe look like it or are run like they are a business. Pastor and author Mark Dever writes about this. He says, a church is not a Fortune 500 company. It's not simply another nonprofit organization nor is it a social club. In fact, a healthy church is unlike any organization that man has ever devised because man didn't devise it. So we don't look to the business world, we don't look to the culture, we don't look to social clubs in order to understand the local church. But rather, we look to the one who created it, Jesus himself, the one who died for it, the one who calls the church his family, his bride, and his body. 
So this morning, when we use the word church, think center church. Think Hiawatha church. Think a local group of gathered believers who gather together regularly in formal and in informal ways for things like uh, uh, to assemble under qualified and called leadership, to hear God's word preached, to observe the sacraments of communion and baptism, who are unified by by the Spirit, who pursue sanctification and spiritual growth, and who live together on mission to bring the gospel to their neighborhoods, workplaces, and cities. So when we say church this morning, think of that. So this morning we're going to look at one of the main passages that describes the church as a body, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 describes this. So to set this up, Paul, who is a former terrorist that uh, terrorized the early church, killed many, many Christians. Uh, Jesus saved him. Jesus converted him, changed his life. And he sent Paul all across the ancient world to preach the gospel, plant churches, just like Center Church, just like this. And he went to a city called Corinth. He preached the gospel, planted a church there, stayed there for 18 months to, to raise up leaders and to establish this church, and then eventually moved on to a new city to do the same. And after he left, he heard about challenges that were going on in the church. So he writes back to them. So that's this, that's this uh, letter that we have, which is 1 Corinthians. And right now, uh, today we're in chapter 12. So right before this, right before what we're going to read, Paul writes back to this church, and he reminds them that all believers are given the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he gifts you certain things. Uh, certain supernatural uh, uh, ac- uh, grace gifts that allow you to do certain things to build up the church. And so every Christian is needed in a local church. Every Christian has been given gifts in order to build up the church. And Paul, out of that then, goes into our passage today. On what he just taught on, Paul builds on that truth that all Christians are needed, that all Christians have the Holy Spirit within them, all Christians are important and vital and needed parts of the local church. And it's from there that he jumps into our passage today. So we're going to pick it up. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. Feel free to follow along in your app or your Bible, or the words will be up here on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, or for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of the one spirit. So right off the bat, we see Paul teach that Christ, is, or the, that the church is the body of Christ. And just like a physical body, which is made up of diverse members, right? So when we say, when we say the word member here today, don't think church member, don't think uh, a member of like a social club or of a gym or of a political party. Think member like a part, right? So the member, m- membership, or when we're talking about members here in the New Testament, has more, much more to do with uh, like your hand is a member of your body. So if you get your foot cut off, it's called being dismembered, right? So when we think of the word member, think of a part, not like you paid your dues and you're a part of a group necessarily, this American version of member. So just like a physical body is made up of many diverse members, hands, feet, eyes, ears, hearts, lungs, etc., the body of Christ, likewise, is made up of diverse people with different gifts. Also here, look at all the 
word ones that Paul uses in this passage, even just in these two verses. So we should be hearing a theme again and again and again, and we've just read a few verses so far. This theme that we are one, despite being very different, very distinct, very diverse, different members, different parts of the body, we're still one body. We're still, uh, we're still unified. So Paul here is communicating that amidst diversity, oneness is true of a local church, even though there are many distinct parts. So even in just this list of, uh, of the people that he said, you are all a part of this local church in Corinth, we see very different people. We see Jews and Greeks who are incredibly different, people that had very little in common. And yet Paul argues that now, even though apart from this local church, they had nothing in common. Maybe they were even enemies. But now, because of the gospel, because of their faith in Christ, they're now one. They are now brothers and sisters. They are now members of the same body. And this also hints at our God, right? Christians worship a God that is both uh, plural and singular at the same time. We, we worship a God who is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. They're distinct three persons, yet we worship one God. He is a trinity. He is one. And so amidst uh, diversity, amidst distinction, even within our God, there is also unity and one. So just like a body has many members and is one, and just like the Trinity has three distinct different persons, yet is one unified God, so the church is made up of many different parts, many different members, many different people, yet in order together to make up one body, the church, center church. Paul continues his argument, verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So Paul here is arguing, just like a hand isn't a body, a single Christian is not the church. It takes many parts, many members together to make a body, whether a physical body or a spiritual body, like us here today. Verse 16 said, If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Paul continues to argue here that just because an ear isn't content with being an ear doesn't mean that it is any less a part of the body. Paul's arguing that by definition, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. Even if you say you aren't, even if you're not happy with where God has placed you, you're needed and you're a part of the church. You can even say that you're not a part of the body, just like this ear does in verse 16, yet that doesn't make it true. By being a Christian, by definition, you're a part of a church. Paul continues, helping the Corinthian church see, uh, and us as well see, the benefit of the way that God created his church. Remember, this is a church, not uh, a nonprofit, not a business. And so we look to the creator of the church to see why he did that and the importance of that. Why he put a diverse group of members together to be unified as a church. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Let us listen to what Paul is teaching us here. God, the creator of the cosmos, created Center Church and each one of you, and he placed you within this church. He has arranged each church. He has chosen each individual member to be a part of the church, his church. Verse 18 reminds us, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So if you're here today and Hiawatha Church is your home, that's not an accident. And, and no offense, but that's also not really your, your choice or really your ultimate responsibility. And, and, and don't be discouraged or angry at that, but see great comfort in that, that God loves you enough to place you in the context of a local church because he loves you. He wants to care for you, and he knows that you have been gifted uniquely to make Center Church a more healthy, more vibrant, more uh, gospel-proclaiming and demonstrating place. God is the author of the church, and he is creating it. He is arranging it. He is choosing who is a part of it, and he gets to define it. Not the fingers, not the toes, not even the mouths get to decide what the local church is. Rather, God, he's defining it. And just like a foot can't say to the rest of the body, hey, I wish I were the brain, not a foot, we too cannot say, I just wish I wasn't a part of this local church. I wish that I was something else. Or we can say that, but it just would be untrue of reality. Paul continues, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. So just like one part of our body cannot say to another part, I just don't need you anymore. So before Paul said, we can't just say we're not a part of the body because that's just not true. It's not true of what reality is. We also cannot say, I don't need you because we need each other. Just like we're tempted to say at times, or just like some younger Christians, uh, myself included, at times have said, I don't need the church. That's as silly as if one part of the body thinks that it can live being dismembered, being cut off from the body. Let's continue. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So Paul is teaching this truth that the body of believers is so linked spiritually, so linked they're so unified and interconnected and so dependent on one another. As verse 26 says, if one member suffers, they all suffer. If one rejoices, all rejoice. So think about your physical body. Think about just one part of your body, going to the dentist and getting a root canal. Or think about a migraine, one small part of your body that's going through pain. Think about how that affects the entire body. When one part suffers, the entire body suffers. And in our church, when a man was diagnosed with brain cancer, the whole body of church, 
The whole body at Hiawatha suffered and hurt with him. When a leader in our church left his wife and his kids and Jesus himself, the whole church suffered. Even people who didn't know either of these men who were a part of Hiawatha Church, they were deeply saddened. They weeped. They pleaded with God in prayer for these men and mourned along with the rest of the church because these two men were a part of our body. We were one body. We can't help but be interconnected. We cannot help but weep when others weep. And likewise, Paul says, when one member of the body is honored, we all rejoice together. We are all honored. So think about the best meal that you've ever had. Or think about an incredible massage or, or grazing, gazing on some amazing sunset or some natural beauty. Even though that's just affecting one part of your body, your entire body rejoices, right? Even when it's just one member of your body seeing or tasting or feeling something amazing, your whole body gets filled with pleasure and joy and contentment. And we see this in the local church as well. When someone shares their testimony of Jesus' faithfulness in their life and how he saved them, we all rejoice. We celebrate when someone from our church has a baby. We all celebrate. When we send out missionaries and church planters and other ministers, we thank God, what, we thank God for what he is doing in us and through us as a body. And when one believer succeeds, we all do. We don't compete as if we are against each other, but rather we celebrate. When one believer flourishes, we all flourish. When a brother in Christ defeats sin, we all rejoice. When a sister in Christ leads someone else to saving faith in Jesus, it's a win for all of us. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. And so Paul concludes his teaching on the body of Christ. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we could even continue to add to Paul's questions here by adding other spiritual gifts. Do all possess the gifts of generosity? Do all possess the gifts of serving, the gift of faith? Do all possess the gift of helps? And in verse 27, Paul describes both unity. You are the body of Christ. You, plural, are the body of Christ. And distinct individuality. And each of you are members of that one body. Paul reminds the church that people within the church are different. We're diverse. We have different spiritual gifts, talents, passions, experiences, and abilities that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to make us, wants to make Center Church a healthier, more God-honoring, more Christ-like place. And we shouldn't compete with each other, just like a foot doesn't compete, the right foot doesn't compete with the left foot, or a hand competing with the brain. Diversity and distinction and individuality are not only important, but they're even appointed by God. We're reminded of this again in verse 28. Yet along with diversity, difference, and distinction in role and gifting, there is a vital necessity for unity. We need each other. You need each other. It's that simple. 
So even if you're here today and you think, I just don't know what I have to offer. I don't know, I'm not as smart as other people. I don't have as many resources or I haven't been a Christian as long or I don't have as strong of faith. Or maybe I'm really young or maybe I feel really old or maybe list a million different things. Know that you, if you're a part of the church here, you're needed. God chose you. He placed you here for a reason. And Cinder Church will be a much more healthy place if you stay here, if you take ownership, if you use your spiritual gifts and your time and your talent and your treasure to build up this body. And even though 1 Corinthians 12 exists, still, many Christians don't belong to a local church. So hopefully we see in 1 Corinthians 12 just the necessity of being a part of a local church and how the New Testament and Jesus himself make it really hard for us to think that we can be a churchless Christian, a Lone Ranger Christian. But the reality is that there still are many who feel like Donald Miller. Some who are just feeling it, some who are living it and are not a part of a local church. Those who love Jesus but just don't love his church, his body. And that was my story throughout my late teens and early 20s. So I say all this with uh, conviction on my own heart and my own past. Or someone with great empathy, I understand how it was. So even though we've seen some of the many, many New Testament arguments for the reality of Christians having to be a part of a local church, and we're going to see even more uh, later on in the sermon, let's look at a few of the objections, right? Because a lot of these people and our own selves, right? We know the Bible. We don't think that, uh, that what the Bible teaches on this is, is completely up in the air, that it's completely open-handed, right? We, uh, many of us know these truths, yet we still have lots of objections, right? And we're going to look at three of those objections, three of those objections that the 21-year-old version of me would have spouted out to my local church pastor, if you can call it that, because I really wasn't even a part of a church. I was went to a Christian university, thought, hey, I have good Christian friends here. There's, we have chapel that I kind of go to maybe once a week, and uh, I'm just fine. So objections even that myself were a big part of my life. So if you have these here today, just know that no judgment here. This, is, this was my reality as well. But Jesus and his gospel and the New Testament have great responses to these. So let's talk about those. First objection, this idea of all I need is just Jesus and me, right? American Christianity, right? It's all about the individual. It's all about me. It's all about independence, right? Just Jesus and me. That's all I need. So ways that it plays out might be a sentence like this. It's important uh, to be the church, not to go to church, right? Kind of a half-truth there. Of course, we should be the church, but the argument's we don't need to go to it. What's more important is that we are the church the other six days of the week. Or maybe all I just need is a few Christian good friends. I need a Bible study I'm a part of, or accountability group, or some college buddies, or, or like a, you know, a, a prayer group at my school, or something like that. But the response to that, while those are both half-truths, right, there is some truth in them, the response is, if you want to be with Jesus, you need to be where Jesus is. And Jesus says, I, this is my body. He says, the local church is my physical, tangible body here on earth. Jesus calls the church his body. And all over the New Testament, the church is called Jesus' body. So if you want to be near Jesus, you need to be with Jesus' people, which he calls his body here on earth. Ephesians 5 says, Christ is the head of the church, his body. And he himself is his savior. 
Matthew 25, a very famous passage you probably know about. So when Jesus is talking about uh, judging the, the, the goats and the sheep, and he says, whatever you have done for, for people who are hungry and sick and, and, and uh, visiting people and, and meeting tangible needs, listen to how he ends that, which you maybe know, maybe you don't know. The king, Jesus, will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you have d- did it, so all these good deeds, you know, loving, caring, feeding, visiting, uh, etc. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, while Jesus, of course, wants us to love people who aren't a part of our church, of course, we should be missional and kind and generous to the outside world, there's no New Testament passage that says Jesus is humanity. Of course, humanity is made in the image of God, but there's no New Testament passage or doctrine that says all human beings equal Jesus. But what does the New Testament say over and over and over again? Christians are the body of Christ. So it makes sense. What we do to the body of Christ, we do to Christ, which helps us understand Matthew 25 here, with Jesus saying, whatever you've done to one of the least of these my brothers, my, my spiritual family, my church, you have done to me. So to say we don't need the church, all we our need is just a, a, a couple friends just completely misses this. And even more, we can talk about Acts 9. So when this guy, Paul, that we talked about that wrote 1 Corinthians, when he was converted, Jesus shows up supernaturally, knocks him off his horse, right? He, Paul's on his way to go in prison and, and, and terrorize the church. More Christians throw them in jail. Jesus shows up, knocks him off of his horse, blinds him, speaks to him supernaturally, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who's Paul persecuting? The church. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? The church is Jesus. In some mystical way we just can't really understand, but in a way where Jesus says, you, center church, are my local body right here. So the good and the, 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 the bad that we do to each other within the church in some mystical yet, yet real and true way we're doing to Christ. So, but you still might argue to this objection, okay, but, but do I have to commit to a church? Why can't I just have some Christian friends in my life that I can kind of do these verses for? My four best friends or my little Bible study or accountability group or whatever you want to call it. And the reality is practically that will work. It might work. Praise God if it works for a couple years. But the reality is, and I'm sure this will, maybe not. It'll probably happen for Donald Miller as well. But I've seen it in my life time and time and time and time again. It's just too easy to hide sin from your friends. It's just too easy not to submit to any spiritual authority if these are all your buddies. It's just too easy to go find a new group of friends when they stop meeting your needs or when they press you on holiness or on obedience or when they call you to something you don't like. Accountability, spiritual leadership, commitment are really tough to focus on and to commit to for more than just a season when you're not a part of a local church. And to be very honest with you, the vast majority, and I'm, I'm only 35 years old, so give me a couple more decades and I'm sure this will continue to happen. The vast majority of my f- Christian friends from high school and from college, I went to a Christian university, the vast majority of my Christian friends who are not a part of a local church 
are far, far from Jesus. Most of them not even Christian anymore. You would have asked me 15 years ago of, of my, you know, people I was worshiping beside, studying the Bible with at Bethel University. If you'd asked me, are these people, what are they going to do with their lives? In, in 15, 20 years, I'd have said, you know, healthy member of a, of a church, uh, missionary, leading ministries, leading nonprofits, teachers, etc., kingdom builders. And yet, many of them are not even Christians anymore. People who were seemingly Christian, yet are not a part of a local church. So that's just the reality. So yes, it's great to have really good friends and Bible studies, accountability groups, but apart from a local church, just rarely, rarely goes well. And we see this all over the New Testament too. When, when uh, supposed Christians leave their spiritual family, they leave the church too. Our church just got done preaching through the book of Acts, and, and, and then right after that, uh, Philemon, and in there, there's this guy, uh, his name is Demas, and it's described that he uh, abandoned Paul, left the church, and left his spiritual family because he pursued the love of things in this world. And we see that all o- over the New Testament. When people leave Jesus, they are often leaving the church. And again, the New Testament doesn't describe examples of people apart from a local church that are thriving, that are used by God, that are full of the Spirit. What about another objection? Church is boring. I just don't like the fill-in-the-blank, right? I, I love Center Church, so all this stuff has to do with Hiawatha Church. So an example, I don't like the people. They're either too young or too old or too urban or too not urban or too uh, educated or not educated or too this ethnicity or to this personality or Myers-Briggs or I don't like the style of music I don't like the coffee I don't like the way they do things I don't like the preaching style we could go on and on and on again or like Donald Miller said I'm not a part of a local church because I just don't learn well there that's not my learning style I don't like sermons that's not how I learn the response to that is that that's not the point well maybe true right maybe true Your preferences, your desires make your particular local church not your favorite in every single thing that they do. The response to that is, it's not about that. That's not the point. It's not all about you. Hebrews 10 reminds the early church, and let us consider, and and Austin extension, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some right? Think about this. Even people in the early church, even people whose pastor was like Peter or Paul, even people who are part of churches where supernatural gifts were happening all the time, signs and wonders, even people who are part of those churches, the author of Hebrews is describing some just stop meeting together. Some fall away from churches and leave the faith. So don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but instead encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day or Jesus' return drawing near. To respond to this objection here, to I wonder what, what are brothers and sisters in the developing world or uh, in, in parts of the world where there's persecution, I wonder what they would think about this objection. People have to walk miles to get to their local church or people have to meet underground or in uh, secret house churches because either church is illegal or there's just only one church in a, you know, 30-mile radius, and 
some rural place. I wonder what they would think when we say, hey, I'm just not a part of a local church because I can't find one that meets all my preferences and all these things. We have to check our hearts, and and even regularly, right? We're inundated with American individualism and consumerism. We must stop being an American consumerist and remember that the church isn't ultimately about you, hand, you, eye, you, ear, you, brain, you, mouth, but it's about the whole body. It's about Christ, our head. Worshiping your creator and savior is about ascribing him worship and him worth so much more than it is about you liking the style of the music. Gathering with Jesus and his people is not just about fitting your particular wants, but rather using your gifts and your time and your relationships to build up others here in the church. The main reason we gather, unlike what Donald Miller is arguing, is not just so we can learn a certain way or that we can have the feels, right? Or we can have the connection with God through the worship. Although, Praise God that happens all the time, or most of the time for us. The main reason we gather together with other believers regularly is because it's about Jesus receiving glory and being and us being used by the Spirit to strengthen his body and spread the gospel. Spread the gospel among each other within our church and then outside these walls and into our city. And the third objection I hear all the time all the time related to why I'm not a part of a church, why I love Jesus but not his church, why church's Christianity should be a reality, this objection says. Third objection is the church is unattractive. It's messy. It's a sinful bunch of people. Or they might say, I've been hurt by the church. Still love Jesus, but man, I am never going to put myself in that again. And the response to this objection is yes, it is. Full stop. Yes, the church is unattractive, messy, sinful, and it will hurt you. Hopefully not intentionally, but some, yeah, even intentionally. The church is broken. The church is, as, as the famous saying goes, it is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. So to respond to this objection, and many of you probably had this objection, you've been hurt by the church, Of course you've been hurt by the church. Of course Christians have let you down, sinned against you. The response is, yes, that is true. And it's very real and and an important objection. And the church in general, and High Wealth the Church, Center Church specifically, we're not perfect, right? We're messy. We're full of sinful people that know we're sinners. That's why we get together. It's because we need a Savior. But that is not the sign that a church is failing. Of course it could be, right, if everything's poisonous about a church. But a a, a church not being perfect is actually rather, rather than being an objection, it's actually proof that the church is doing what it's supposed to do. Preach the gospel and create disciples of sinners, of broken people, of people who aren't perfect by themselves, that need a savior, that need salvation, that need new life. The messiness and sin is a sign most of the time, is a sign that people are meeting Jesus. That imperfect people are not cleaning up and trying to be perfect before they come and gather with other imperfect people. They're coming messy. They're coming sinful. They're coming with doubts. They're coming lost. They're coming with their depravity. And they're letting Jesus 
clean them. And the way that we fight our sin, the way that we grow in Christ-likeness or holiness, is not by going at it alone. But rather, Jesus gives us his spirit, and Jesus gives us his church as means, as, as tools, as the way that he will make us more like himself. So the, ch- the church provides things like gospel-centered community and gospel-centered preaching to bring sin to light, to help, e- help each other battle the sin uh, within our hearts alongside fellow brothers and sisters or other members of the body. God gives us his church to call us back to Christ every single week and to his gospel because we forget it and to remind us that we're saved and we need salvation. We need a savior because we are broken. So when we gather, the church is not boasting in who we are. If anything, we're boasting in us being sinners, in need of a Savior. And in fact, if you read the New Testament, most of these letters are written to imperfect, messy churches. And and if you notice, too, even 1 Corinthians, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, they were a mess. They were like, that had been headlines of the Star Tribune every other week for something scandalous that our culture would just destroy them on Twitter about. But notice, Paul still calls the, the church in Corinth a church. He doesn't say, you have to live up to this level of like looking like Jesus or else you're not a church anymore. But rather, he does confront their sin. I mean, read 1 Corinthians. He, he gets really harsh with them. But at the same time, he still says, you are the body of Christ. Live like it. Take care of each other. Despite all the imperfections, the New Testament still calls these churches the body of Christ. He still calls these messy, sinful groups of people, the New Testament still calls them the bride of Christ. still calls them the spiritual family of God. Whether we realize it or not, a broken, messy church filled with sinners is actually a defense of the gospel. Again, we don't say, oh, you were hurt by the church. That's a good thing. We're really glad because it proves the gospel. We don't say that, of course. But to say the church hurt you, hurt me, hurt us, equals the gospel's not true or we should abandon the church, that's actually just the opposite. A broken, messy, sinful, or a church filled with sinful people is actually a defense of the gospel. It's an apologetic that we're saved by grace, not by being good people. Not by being not sinners. Not by being really kind, friendly people. But we're saved by the gospel alone. Porterbrook, which is a, a bunch of courses that our church uses for leadership development and adult education, in one of their books called Living the Cross and the Resurrection, uh, describe this very well. They say, That is the paradox of Christian ministry. A wonderful, glorious message through ordinary, plain, weak messengers. If it were any other way, it would confuse the message. If my power and abilities could be compared with the gospel, then people might look to me instead of God. Or if people found me impressive, they might think being a Christian was about being successful. But if I am weak and faltering, then the focus will be where it belongs, on the power of God. Through the cross, Jesus brought life to others, and Christian discipleship mirrors this. Or you think about what the Apostle Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. I say, look at me. I know I planted a bunch of churches. I know I can spout off and even write scripture. 
but I am the chief of sinners. I boast in my weakness because when you see anything good come out of me, then you have to say, that's the Spirit. That's the gospel producing fruit. It's not because Paul's special. It's because Paul's God, Paul's Savior is special. So the church hurting people, well, we don't want that. Well, we try not to do that. That is just going to be our reality. Center Church, you are going to let each other down. You are going to sin against each other. You are going to hurt each other. But God wants to use that to prove that it's not about you, that it's about his spirit, that the gospel takes enemies, takes people who are at conflict with each other and makes them brothers and sisters, makes them members of the same body. All right, as we near the end here, hopefully today, I mean, we could look at a million different things, but hopefully today you're convinced that Jesus in the New Testament just doesn't allow for us to say churchless Christianity is real, that I can be a lone ranger and that's just fine. Jesus is happy with me. While the church is a glorious gift given to us by Jesus himself, committing to and being a part of a local church is actually not a law for Christians. Okay, so we just spend a ton of time saying, be a part of a local church. It's your reality. You need each other. You have to be. The New Testament doesn't speak of a Christian without a church. Okay, we spent all that time talking about that. And let me begin to end with this, though. But it's not a law. You're not saved because you're a part of Center Church. Okay, it's not as if we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, and now Jesus came, the gospel, the resurrection, and now we have new laws. And now if we stop doing those new laws, boom, you just lost your salvation. It's not as if you aren't a member here at, uh, at Center Church or you move and it takes you six months to find a new church. You've lost your salvation. But let's be very clear. Even though churchless Christianity is not real in the New Testament, it's also not a new law as if, if you don't do this, God hates you. You lose your salvation. You're far from him. There's no hope. The problem is, if we don't remember the gospel, even good teachings, even teachings from Jesus himself, still can become just like a new law to us. And it can lead to two harmful extremes, right? So hopefully you're convinced, churches' Christianity is a myth. We need to be a part of a local church. Yet, if we don't bring in the gospel here, it can lead to two extremes, okay? One extreme, maybe you're really good at this. Maybe everything I said today, you're like, amen. I'm really good at being a part of a local church. I've always been a part of a church my entire life. I've always grown. I like people. I'm an extrovert. I can forgive easily. I like to be generous. These are, it, this just feels good to me and normal. If all you see this is as a law, and that's your personality, your experience, this leads to pride, which is sin, right? So if all it is, if we don't even talk about the gospel, you just say, well, I'm really good at this. Good. Here's a law I have to do. I'm good at this. It's going to lead to pride. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're bad at this. Maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you don't like sharing your money. Maybe annoying people annoy you. Maybe you don't like being around people who are different than you. Maybe you love your Saturday or your Sunday morning because it's one of your days off. Maybe it's really hard for you. Maybe you say, all those things he just described, I know myself. I could never do any of that. I'm always going to be horrible at that. So if all this is, be a part of a church is just a law, if you're bad at this, it leads to hopelessness, despair, just giving up, which is also sinful. 
but rather the gospel teaches us a third way. Not be good at this by yourself, or if you suck at it, you have no hope, but the gospel teaches us a third way. You don't have to. You don't have to be a part of a local church. We're saved not by being a part of a local church, not by having your name on a member list somewhere. We're saved by grace, not by working for our salvation. We're saved by God's mercy. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for us. We're saved into the body of Christ. Part of our new identity in salvation is what we've been talking about. The reality is you are a part of a church. So this seems like the same, but it's very different. Christian, you don't have to be a part of a local church, but you get to. You don't lose your salvation if you're not, but see the gift and the reality of, of, of being a part of a local church. You get to. That's the good news, the, the, the fruit of the gospel. The reality is that if you're a Christian, you are a part of Christ's body. So look at just a few truths that are, uh, whether it's the gospel itself or whether it's fruits of the gospel or effects of the gospel, this is what changes our heart. This is what makes th- this good news for us today. Not be a better church member or stop despairing because you know you suck at being a church member. But listen to these truths. If you're a Christian here today, this is your reality. You were friendless. And through the gospel, you are now a friend of God. Apart from the gospel, you are a stranger to your creator, a stranger to your savior. But now through the gospel, you're welcomed back. You are alone apart from Christ. But now through the gospel, you are never alone. You have the spirit living inside of you, which will not change. And you have Jesus himself, the church, that you're saved into. You're saved into this body. You are abandoned. Apart from Christ, you were abandoned, but now in Christ, now through the gospel, you're secure. You will not be abandoned by your spiritual father or the head of the church, Jesus Christ, ever again. You are secure. You are orphans. We were all orphans, but now through the gospel, we're adopted into God's family. And all of this, all this good news, all this effects, all this good stuff on the right is by grace, not by works. You don't earn any of that. That's just the reality. That's the fruit of trusting in Christ. All this is by grace, not by us working hard, nor by our inherent goodness. So if you're really good at being a good church member, if you get really excited at this sermon because you think, hey, I can do that, remember that it's not because of your inherent goodness or, or your works that you're able to to do that, but rather it's the spirit within you. It's the good works that God has already authored, Ephesians 2. Or if you feel like you really suck at this, and this, I I can never be a part of Center Church if this is the bar of what it means to be a member here. If you feel like despair and you want to just run, look at all these things on the right that describe you. Those are true of you. Not because you're good at being a member, but because of Jesus and his love for you. So as we leave here today, Like, how does this play out, okay? Not do these five things or else, right? Again, this is not a law. But if you really are a spiritual family, if Center Church is filled with a bunch of members, and all together you are the body of Christ here, then how can this play out? How should this play out? Maybe some of you don't 
have not thought of some of these uh, next steps or, or how this can and should play out when we view through the gospel our church being the body of Christ. A few things. Volunteer on a Sunday. Give of your time and your talents and your spiritual gifts to make Center Church a stronger body. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because God wired you a certain way and gives you gifts so that you can pass those on and, and build up the body here. Second, pray for your church. See them not just as enemies or people that annoy you or people that haven't got it yet or people who aren't as committed as you, but pray for each other. Pray for your church. Pray for leadership. Pray for volunteers. Pray for each other. Pray for the visitors. Pray for maturing in the gospel and for more good works and unity, for the lost to be saved, for God to be glorified here at Center Church. And again, use your spiritual gifts. Figure out what those are. Talk with your uh, talk with Kevin, talk with other leaders about um, how to grow in your gifts, how to discover your gifts. Build up the church through that. Be generous with your time, your talents, and your treasures. Be used by God to grow his church. Be an inviter. Invite people to Sunday mornings, to your groups, to your dining room table, to your sports games. Live on mission together. And if you're a visitor here today, what does this look like for you? Just find a local church, whether or not it's center church or not. Find a local church that preaches the gospel and believes in Christ and him crucified and, and risen and salvation through grace and faith alone and join it. Put down roots. Do what, everything we just talked about at whatever local church that that is. Or just know in your life many of you might move at some time in your life. And so just make it a priority when you move to a new city. Or when your kids go to college or, you know, let this be something we, uh, is just natural for us, is that we know that we must find a local church and be a part of it. And then finally, if you're not, if you're not a Christian here in this room, if, if you are a visitor, if you're a seeker, if you're just checking things out, if you're dragged here, or maybe you are uh, one of those people that's kind of attracted to Jesus, right? Because Jesus is kind of cool most of the time, yet the church is irrelevant or messy or it's hurt you. If you're, not here, if you're not a Christian here today, listen to, think about everything that we just said here today. Jesus so designed his church so that you would be safe, so that you would be loved, so that you would have a place to belong, so that you would have meaning for your life, so that you would be protected, so that you would be pursued. God loves you that much. And way more than even that, he loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place so that if you just trust in him, not you being a great person, but trusting in him, that you can have all that. That you can be reconciled to him. That you can be a part of his body. So give church a chance. We're not perfect. And we shouldn't say we're perfect. And that's not the point. And if that's you here today, repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus. And you can be reconciled to your God. You can be given a new life, both new life now and life eternal. Receive Christ's forgiveness and become a part, a member of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Ben can come on up while I pray here. Father God, we thank you uh, for this really great news, this news that many of us knew or kind of knew about, yet it's just so easy to forget or to not care or to uh, just be... I mean, we're inundated all the time with consumerism and in individualism as Americans, and that's the default mode of our heart, right? We, we're prideful. We want to go, go on it by ourselves. We want 
to uh, rebel against you. We want to show that we're strong and we don't need you. So Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Um, and I pray that you would help us, help us uh, as individual Christians, as people from a, a couple different churches here today, help us to see the connection between you and your body.